0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. I hope you've got one of these. And if you do, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't, then there's one in front of you in the seat. And I encourage you to grab it there. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13. I'm very excited for this passage today. It's it's one of my all-time favorites. I find I say that a lot, but I try to mean it when I say it as well. But it really is. Like this, this is another one of these texts that is of supreme importance and in many ways defines our entire existence. And that's why Jesus teaches it. That's why he preaches it. That's why he teaches it to us now. This is the second week in our Seek First the Kingdom series. The big deal where we are as a church right now, loved ones, and of course this coincides with our Seek First the Kingdom campaign that we are in primarily for the month of November, but it's going to in some ways carry on for two years as well. If you weren't here last week, there's a little bit of catching up to do. We pray that the Lord will help you do that today. Again, this is a very big month for us. We are looking to do this in our campaign in a sentence. We are looking to decrease the debt we currently have to increase the power of the kingdom from our lives and from this church. We are looking to decrease the debt in order to increase the effectiveness and impact for the kingdom in a time that is so desperately needed. So as a result, we are looking to seek. Taking that word seek, seek first the kingdom, and breaking it down into an acronym, S-E-E-K. We are looking to send more than ever. We are looking to equip Men and women for the gospel and train them in theology and train them in ministry and train them again in the word of God. We are looking to encourage, encourage the church as God has allowed us to in the last, again, several years. And to see that happen more than ever, to encourage the church around us for the purposes of the kingdom. It's interesting, you may or may not be aware, but our, our world is moving at such a frantic pace. Just this week, there's a church that we know well in the east side of Toronto that came under incredible uh, media scrutiny and opposition. And it just, it just, it just shows you too, it just, it's, it just, it's just a, a real life example that our world has changed, it is changing, and the reality of what it means To be a follower of Jesus Christ and to do that sincerely, loved ones, the cost is growing. If you are going to actually pursue Christ, you you must be aware. And as we should not be surprised, Jesus tells us over and over again, loved ones, I'm telling you, look right here, man, this is important. There's a sifting going on right now. There's a sifting. You know what I mean by that? There's a shaking out and we're going to find out who's really in. Like, who's really in? We're gonna, it's happening all around us right now. We're finding out who's with Jesus and who's making their own image of Jesus. Who's with the word of God and who's semi with the word of God and coming up with their additional scriptures or lessons. it's happening right now. This is such an important time, okay? This is an important time again to don't live for self or live for the world, live for Christ. It's coming at a cost, it feels a little bit of fear, but at the end of the day, may faith May faith win. Because again, as we say again in our day, I love what the apostle Peter said when Jesus saw all the people leaving. And he says, Are you gonna go away too? And Peter says, Where else are we gonna go, Lord? What's the alternative? For you hold the words of eternal life. You are the holy son of God. So remember, loved ones, seek. First, the kingdom for a reason and a purpose. Because second place is pretty far down the list when we have spiritual vision and spiritual lives of what Jesus Christ has called us to. And today what we see is the supreme and infinite value of the kingdom. Why do we seek the kingdom first? Because the kingdom itself holds the greatest value we can ever know. We're going for this right now. We're going for precision clarity. I am praying that, and by the way, some of us are trying to pass off this challenge on people around us, but not take it for ourselves. Lovingly and gently and pastorally, in Jesus' name I pray you won't get away with that. I pray all of us will feel the, the spotlight on our own hearts and minds because we are individually accountable for ourselves before the Lord when He returns. And you don't want a bunch of hand stone that burns up in the fire. You want gold, silver, and precious stones that survive that fire and that the reward will be seen at the end. And Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. We are going for precision, clarity. Why do we live? What's the point of our existence? We are going for a renewed urgency. When you have the clarity, you feel the urgency and that's how should we live. Jesus is telling us how we should live in this series. We're going for a heightened priority. When you see the clarity and you feel the urgency, the priorities get in line pretty quick. Where should I live? As in, what direction should I go? And we are praying this is gonna lead to a biblical generosity. When you have clarity and you have urgency, And you see with priority, the Bible then compels us, the Spirit of God tells us, then give in such a way that that's proven because you desire to see God's kingdom go forward above all other things. That is what happens for the person who is in tune with the Holy Spirit in our day at this time. And right now in this church, you will have clarity and urgency and priority and generosity. There will be no exceptions to this if we are in God's will and aligned with God's spirit. Today's passage is perfect in accomplishing all these things from our lives. It's so amazing. Matthew chapter 13 is a astoundingly beautiful, listen, listen, kingdom chapter. The All of Matthew 13, Jesus is telling parable after parable. And why is he doing this? Like in every circumstance, Jesus starts with, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is teaching us what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like within our lives. Remember um, in Matthew 25 from September, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like in the future? Right now, he's talking about the present. The kingdom of heaven is like This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like then with Jesus and right now within our lives as well. The supreme value of the kingdom is the topic of the heart of Jesus in the parables we see today. It's unmistakable that the thesis, the big idea, the point of these parables is the infinite value found only within the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And the question we ask now, Jesus will describe the worth of the kingdom. Do our lives line up with the teaching that Jesus is giving pertaining to the value of the kingdom? And that's really the intro line for our outline today then. Do I really value the kingdom? And so we get to take a test right now. Let's find out if we truly value the kingdom of God according to the word of God and the word of Jesus Christ himself? Do we really value the kingdom of God? Here's answer number one then. If we truly value the kingdom of God, answer number one is this. It will simply be my greatest treasure. It will simply be my greatest treasure. Again, another word of awareness for us all right now, as I said last week, This series is a heart-searching series. And some of us can feel it already. Some of us feel it right now. The Lord is coming and searching our hearts to examine again the purpose of our lives, the priority of our lives, the urgency of our lives. As we approach this text today, again, I was especially giddy this week because I think this text is that special and that transformational. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Yes, it is. Notice, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all. Sells all that he has and buys that field. Look at verse 45, again, or likewise, similarly, in the same light, Jesus is teaching the same truth in another uh, story or parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value or great price, went and sold, notice, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Both of these parables are sending the same message. Uh, They are called twin parables. There's there's slight nuances between the treasure hidden and the pearl of great price, but it's the same goal for the heart. So let's start with the treasure hidden in the field. And remember, as we go through this, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like and what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like within your heart and mine. Okay? Okay. It was common in ancient Palestine for people to bury their treasures or their valuables in the ground. Uh, they did not have bank machines like we do today and banks and safety deposit boxes and whatnot. They didn't have that. They didn't get on their phone and e-transfer money from one friend to another. Okay? They had dirt to hide their treasure in. And in many ways, this would make sense. In the case of wars or raids or burglars, and when you wanted to protect your wealth... Um, you would bury it somewhere that you only knew where that was. Otherwise, it could be easy pickings. Again, as the houses they lived in were often so small and confined to a single spot, and so someone could come in. If you hit it there, it would be too obvious, again, where they should look. So sometimes what would happen in ancient, in ancient times like this is a person would leave on a journey. They would bury their treasure, leave on a journey, and they would not return. Now, the reasons for that could vary. Uh, maybe when they were on their journey, they would die. And the treasure would be left there. Uh, Maybe they just went away and for some other reason, again, they didn't find themselves back. And so you would often have literally treasure buried in the ground. And it would be a small percentage to find one of these. But it's not inconceivable that someone would stumble upon in some way a buried treasure in the ground. Again, waiting to be discovered. Okay, So we have a man here that Jesus is saying who has stumbled upon or discovered this treasure. However, what he knows is, as the parable says, he knows by law that whoever owns the land is the one who owns the treasure. So notice too about this parable here. The treasure is so valuable. You see that? It fires up the man so much, okay, that he will stop at nothing to get it. Now we have to assume based on verse 44 here. That this man was not likely a rich man. Why? Because he sells everything he has to just buy this one field. But once the field is his, then he knows the treasure is his also. So he's willing to forsake all for the sake of the treasure. Now remember, the whole point Jesus teaching this is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Think of the value of the kingdom of heaven. Now notice that this treasure here is hidden in verse 44. Meaning, most will pass over it and not see it. But here's the question. When the treasure is seen, when the treasure is discovered, will the treasure be valued? Because Jesus says... The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. When someone truly discovers the value of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, salvation, Jesus Christ himself, will it be seen for the infinite worth that Jesus himself possesses? So this is why then, seeking first the kingdom when properly seen with spiritual eyes, it is not a pain. It is precious. It is so precious. You have to hear that to truly see the kingdom of God and to see it in its value. It is not a pain. It is not a chore. It is the most precious thing we could ever set our eyes on. So, of course, the New Testament carries this theme out pretty clearly too. This is why Paul says, we just sang really this truth just before this message. Paul says, Philippians 3a, another favorite verse of mine, okay? Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss. We've always wondered, you look at this and you say, Paul, how can you count everything as loss because, loved ones, listen, 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 this is so, because of his value system. Look at what he says. He, he explains it for us. Compared to the surpassing worth, <coughs> the treasure of Christ, the kingdom of knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, watch watch the conclusion here. For the sake of Christ, then I have suffered the loss of all things. And he can even say, I count them as rubbish, as garbage. As, as my son likes to say, that's trash, right? He counts them as trash, why? In order, because of his value system, if I gain Christ, you can give me the world, but I don't care, just give me Jesus. So Paul has so clearly seen a man who lived for the world and lived for religion, but now in relationship with the treasure of Jesus Christ, when compared to Christ, he is able to look at the world around it and say, honestly, it's trash. It's rubbish. It's worthless compared to the treasure found in Jesus Christ. Here's another verse. Another verse in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the Verses of Moses. Look at this. These verses are just awesome. He, Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Moses, Moses living obviously pre Christ, but with faith, understanding Christ was to come. And in his own life, he considered being mistreated the reproach of Christ as greater wealth. See, what is our value system? Is our value system our stuff? Or is our value system Christ? I'm telling you, if you want to live a generous life, the more you look on Christ, the more your hands are freed from the world. Because the less you care about that which has no ultimate value, and the more you hold on to Christ, who is the supreme value. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. I mean, did Egypt have a lot of treasures in this day? Ah uh, yes. Ah uh, yes. And Moses looked at all that as the prince of Egypt at one time and he saw Christ. He says, I'm going for Christ. Why, why? Because Moses understood, listen, look, look. He understood the true reward that's coming. He understood the moment Christ returns, man, the world will be seen for the value it is, zero, and then Christ will be seen for the value. He is everything. No wonder then Jesus teaches in Matthew, next verse, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, why would you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth? Okay, church, listen up right now. Listen up right now. This is a big deal. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to us right now. Every heart, Lord, I pray. Every heart. Every heart. Why would we lay up treasures on earth when they're going to be destroyed? At the end of the day, rust and just fall apart. Notice the command. Do not do that. Stop doing it. But notice. But here's the command. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven store up treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust can't get to, where the temporary nature of our world can't touch. And then the verse we heard last week and the verse we can't ever stop hearing and be, get comfortable with. Right, because where your treasure is, there your heart is. See, Jesus says, when you understand the value system of the kingdom, it makes us live differently, particularly loved ones, when it comes to money, finances, and material possessions or pursuit of them. Because so many people, that's where their value lies. See, the heart searching continues right now. The Lord is shining a light into our most basic motives. Do you realize every single one of us is a treasure hunter? Every one of us in in this room right now, every one of us is a treasure hunter. But the question is, what treasure are you hunting? Pause. I want you to answer that. What is the treasure that we are ultimately hunting? Is it the treasure of the kingdom? This is what the Lord wants to say to us and see us conform to you right now. Or is it the treasure of something else? But again, all of us are hunting for some kind of treasure. We are also learning this from this parable and from the rest of the Bible as well. We're learning this. When there is no seeking the kingdom from our lives... That's a very serious concern. G.C. Ryle put it this way, okay? He said this. G.C. Ryle said, he said, when a man will venture nothing for Christ's sake, when a man or woman will venture nothing for Christ's sake, we must draw the sorrow, it is a sorrowful conclusion that he has not got the grace of God. I'm glad, like, people say things like this because it needs to be said. See what's happening there? If all our lives are spent in the pursuit of our own kingdom or the kingdom of this world, at some point, if there's no fruit, if there's no venture for Christ and living like we say we know Christ, at some point that person has to stop and go time out, do I really know him? I mean, Ryle says here, the sorrowful conclusion is like, you can't have the grace of God if you're not living for Christ. And I think that's a good theological conclusion to draw. I don't, mean, I don't know who's this for right now. But if we're here right now, and our lives are filled with, with the pursuit of anything but Christ, at some point, that has to become a situational crisis of our own theology. If we give nothing to Christ and his kingdom, loved ones, that's a massive sign your heart's in trouble. Do you think God needs your money as if God wants your heart? One of the greatest proofs though he has your heart is that he has control over his money in your life. Why? Because Jesus knows. I mean, it's amazing how far Jesus mines down into that area right there. Because again, where your treasure is, your heart is. It's astounding to me. Of all the things Jesus could have chosen to go after at the amount that he did, he chose money as the example to say in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and money. Think of all the things he could have said there. You cannot serve God in attainment. You cannot serve God in your physical appearance. You cannot serve God in your career. You cannot serve God in your education. He chose, of all things he could have said, he said, you cannot serve God and money. Why? Well, he's pretty smart. And he's a really good preacher. And he knows every heart perfectly, every heart for all of time. And he knows the number one issue we would struggle with is that. The love of money. And so he says, hey, listen, you can't serve both, man. You love the one, you hate the other. You ever thought about that too? You either love Christ and hate money in a sense, or you love money and you hate Christ. Wow. You don't think about it that way, right? It's one of these teachings you don't hear a lot in the church either. And yet it's almost inescapable. He's so clear when he says that. If we don't have the fruit from our lives coming out for the Lord, this is such a good time for a heart check, okay? But listen, the reason this man in this parable gives up all to get his treasure is because he's figured out that he has found the greatest value ever. Notice, notice, inherent, well, it's right in the parable too. Notice his delight, Notice his joy. Notice his hope. Notice the value he's playing. Notice how quickly he responds. I've always loved that in the parable, man. He comes along, stumbles upon, he sees it, and he's like, "Decision made, done. I'm going. I'm selling everything. Because if I get that, I have everything. No hesitation. So quickly, so beautifully, and easily, and immediately, he responds to the value of the treasure." So in our series and in this campaign that we are in as a church, Holy Spirit of God, renew our minds and move our hearts towards the way you want us to live and the giving you would like to see from us for your kingdom. Loved ones, if, if, if we truly value the kingdom. Okay, so question number one is, do I really value the kingdom? Answer number one is, it will easily be my greatest treasure. So we've asked this question before. I'm going to ask it again, okay? So again, what is it that you treasure most? And if you are courageous, you will ask someone who knows you the best. And you will say, hey, parents, parents, I, I dare you. Dare is probably the wrong word. I challenge you. I want you to do this. Would, would you ask your son, hey, Make sure they do this, okay? Yeah, that's so unfair for you guys right here. That's so unfair. I should walk down the aisle somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. You can ask your child. I'll move over here. I don't want to point one out. You ask your child, hey, what, what does daddy love most? We've asked that question before here in the church. I'd love to ask it again. That, that's a powerful moment. And you're kind of like, oh, no, what are they going to say? But, but, but they know. They know. Your best friend, someone so close to you, sit there. If you are courageous enough to say, you ever asked that question in your life? Probably not. Most of us probably never have. What, in your opinion, by the way I live, by the way the money's spent, by the way my what would you say I love most? And don't get mad at them when they're honest. All right. But but find out, loved ones, find out. And I'm telling you, if it's not the kingdom, repent. Like that's the whole point. That's what Jesus is saying. If we're evidently living for something first other than Christ, that should be a problem, right? And let the Lord start with me first, right? God, show me, tell me. Because again, if I am living for something first other than Christ, I am deceived, and I will not be blessed, and I am not living the life that is so evidently God's will for my life. What do we treasure? Do I really value the kingdom? Answer number two. It results in my greatest joy. I love that this is here. Notice the end of verse 44. It says the man in his joy, in his joy, goes and sells all and buys the field. Then notice the next parable. Parable of the fine pearl. Again, verse 45 now. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, again, implied in here, went and sold with such joy all that he had and bought it. So we have a merchant in the second parable who's likely wealthy in contrast to the poor man in the first parable because a merchant was a, like a wholesale dealer. Um, his business was pearls. Now you gotta know, uh, in the day Jesus' teaching, pearls were extremely expensive. Only the rich could afford them. Uh, when, uh, when, when royalty or the wives of such prominent, important people wanted to show off their wealth, it would be primarily by the demonstration and of pearls, uh, again, on their uh, outfits, even in their hair at times and stuff. So pearls were so sought after, okay? In today's economic terms, a single pearl could be worth $1 to $2 million. So just think about that. This is When, when Jesus is teaching that, this is the context his readers, his listeners would understand. But here's the main point I want us to see in this. In both parables, watch this. The man goes and the merchant went and they sell all. See that in both parables. See that there? And you want to you, you circle that and connect them. That's what I do. You want to see sells all in verse 44 and sold all in verse 46. Again, when you see that, that's one of the great points, again, to this passage in what Jesus is teaching, okay? Notice again, the moment the treasure is found... The moment the value of the pearl of great value is ascertained, they both go immediately. They both take action right away to do whatever it takes to get that treasure in their possession. And they both do it with a glorious joy. I love that. Oh, I love that? Because notice, there's a clarity here. There's an urgency here. But there's also a joy. This is the Christian life. Like, if you're listening right now and you get where we're going with this and you get what the Holy Spirit might be asking of you, and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't want to be taught this. Fine, I'll do it. You know, or like, ah, oh, stop talking about my stuff. If you're like, like, yeah, the kingdom, I know, but man, come on. If, if that's the way you are, you don't get it at all. You are so far removed from seeing the value of the treasure. See what happens? When they see the value, they're like, this is the greatest thing I could ever have. Woohoo! like this. They're not like, oh man, that's the greatest gift ever. That stinks. I have to give up the dirt to get that, right? You know what I'm saying? They're like, there's the urgency with the joy. When you see Christ, it's not a chore. To give to the kingdom is not a burden. It's supposed to be joyful because you are participating in the greatest part of human history and the universe. The kingdom of Jesus Christ and the salvation within that we receive by grace through faith. So both, the man and the merchant, whatever it costs, man, I'm in. Whatever it costs. Give it all up. Because if I can sell everything I have to get that, man, I'm rich. Rich in Christ. This parable isn't buying salvation. This parable is realizing the worth of salvation, and Jesus uses very contemporary examples of this in his day to teach it. It's beautiful. Again, these parables are given by God's Spirit, one of my favorite in Scripture, and has led to one of my favorite insights in Scripture, too. I want you to see this. Look at the screen here, okay? Watch within this parable. We kind of just went through this. I want you to see this, though, in total detail. The kingdom of heaven is like you discover the treasure. It gives you the greatest joy you could ever know, right? Because when you see Christ and you're like, all my sin forever gone, I deserve hell, I'm going to heaven. Satan had his grasp all over me and I was headed towards hell forever. And all of a sudden now I'm going to be a child of God and get the inheritance of Christ. Uh, Joy, yes, yes. You mean like I'm safe forever? I, I cannot die? Jesus Christ will return and he will gather me as his own to be with the Father in glory forever and ever, amen? Uh, that's a pretty good day. That's why Christmas is so awesome. It's such a good Christmas gift. Jesus, the greatest joy ever. That's why it is good news of great joy. By the way, I'm more excited about Christmas. Already excited. It's coming soon. Coming soon to a church near you, especially this one. All right? But it's the best news ever. It's the best joy ever. It's Jesus. You imagine again, Jesus arrives and the angels sing, right? And they sing glory to God in the highest. And then they look in the joy, the joy <laughs> and the shepherds. They run and Simeon holds and Mary. <laughs> oh man, the wise men are exceedingly joyful. Why? Because they see the treasure. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I've got to wait till Christmas to say these things. I know, but I'm excited. But whoa, 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 You okay, ready? You see the treasure, you feel the joy, and then watch the automatic sacrifice. I sell all. Because of this. Again, notice, notice. They're not complaining about the sacrifice. They're not grumpy about the sacrifice. You know, like, it's when like when I ask my kids to do something. I'll just use my example, for instance. At my home, when I ask my kids to do something for me or for my wife. And um, you're hoping they're going to do it in the appreciation for all that they've been given. To be blessed to live in the home that they find themselves in. And you know what? When you ask them to do something, that's not always the response you get, is it? You sometimes watch their response and, and you're tremendously grieved, right? You ungrateful, you know, terrible attitude, selfish little human being, right? You're just like, you feel that way, but, but again, they should feel a sense of gratitude and thankfulness and joy that they have anything at all. Amen, parents? Amen? Amen? Okay, hey, wait, wait, You're going to be sorry. You just said amen, all right? Okay. How much more will your Father in heaven, then, want to see the same from you and I? Is there anything more Christ could have given us in himself? Is there anything you and I actually need more than Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and a prepared place for us in heaven for all of eternity and the salvation of our soul? Is it not expected and legitimate for the Father to look down upon his children and see gratitude and joy and a grateful heart because we have been given the ultimate treasure ever in his son, Jesus Christ. Well, it's totally legitimate. What's wrong with us then? Why do we complain so much? Why are we so ungrateful? Why do we shake our fist at God, whether we do it physically or inside our hearts, and be like, man, my life stinks? Because we don't get it. Because our heart is sick because our vision is off of Christ and onto ourselves, because we have bought into the lie of the world that this is what it's about, and we've failed to see the treasure, again, of Jesus Christ in all its glory. You know, on want a side note, but it's also very related. You ever realized how, how related ingratitude is to financial troubles? Do you know how many people are so in debt And so ungrateful. And in fact, it's their ingratitude that leads to their financial debt. Because because they feel so ungrateful, they just want to keep trying to find stuff that's going to make them more fulfilled or whatever it is. You so often find that the people with the greatest debt are the ones that are the least thankful because they can't be content. You say, man, that's so true because it's about the heart. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. And so he keeps going after us because he loves us so much. Let me ask you this when it comes to God's money in our lives. Let me ask you this. You're either one of two C's and I attribute Paul Tripp to this, okay? You're either a container for God's money or you're a conduit. Which one are you? When you, when you get a blessing of financial gain of some kind, big or small, whatever it is, what's the first thing we think of? it like, oh, here's the 10 ways I'm gonna spend it on myself. Are we containers? We just hoard? It all becomes, and here's the reality, man, a lot of us are right now. A lot of us are containers. Are we conduits? Right, we say here at the church, man, we don't give to the church, we wanna give through the church. This whole campaign is that entire thing more giving through the church for the kingdom and for the gospel. Decrease the debt, increase for the impact of the gospel which is so desperately needed um, in our day. Jesus is teaching so clearly his kingdom would be our greatest joy. That's why we seek first the kingdom. But listen, what is our greatest joy? Again, ask yourself that right now. Lord, what is my greatest joy? What is my greatest joy? What am I seeking to find joy? Hey, 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 there is no joy like Jesus' joy. There is no joy like the joy found in Jesus. You know, ever since I was um, a young man in the faith, I again, one of the most astounding moments, and I've said this, I've taught this many times, or testified to this, but I, I, I was raised, not by my parents, but I was raised in the culture, especially university, where you were so trained to think, if I can just get a job, make money, and then, you know, just whatever. That is success. When I came to Christ, the realization where Jesus says that one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, oh, oh the freedom. I remember, I remember just my eyes were open for the first time in seeing that verse, and now all of a sudden I get to live it. I'm like, wait a second. You mean my identity is it not in the possessions I have? You mean the whole value of my life is not whether I drive this car or I get to live in this place or if I get to have this person. I mean, mean all that doesn't matter anymore. You mean that Jesus Christ now is my identity and glory and desire. I mean, it it blew my mind. The freedom that it gave in an instant To break the lies of the world and Satan and all the things around me in an instant to look at all these advertisements and go lie, 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 lie. False, 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 false. Get out of my face. That's awesome. The freedom and to try to apply that every day that I live now. More and more to say my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. It's powerful. That is what seeking first the kingdom is all about. Now, are you convicted right now? Good, good. See, when Jesus has our hearts, he has our everything. Do I really value the kingdom? We're finding out. It's a three-part exam. If I really value the kingdom, it's my greatest treasure, it will be my greatest joy. And then answer number three is this: it is worthy of my greatest sacrifice. If I really value the kingdom, it is worthy of my greatest sacrifice. Again, notice again the sell all in verse 44 and the sold all in verse 46. It's clear here that Jesus is teaching that this treasure is worthy of any and all sacrifice. That's why people will give their lives up in like an instant for Jesus Christ. That's why people have been burned at the stake for hundreds of years for Jesus Christ. That's why people will will not recant and will have their heads cut off for Jesus Christ in recent months. Because at the end of the day, when you know you have the infinite worth of the treasure, you can take my life, but then my life begins truly in Christ. See, their value system is rooted in that which is so clear. There's such an urgency and priority and then generosity from their lives to the point they will give up their very life. Because they know, if I die, then that's when I actually start to live. How do you put a price? Loved ones, how do you put a price on the kingdom? How do you put a price on the 1,100 plus baptisms we've seen in 14 years here in this church? I mean, really, in eternal proportions. How do you put a price on all the churches we've planted, who have then gone and seen hundreds and hundreds of lives changed for the Lord Jesus Christ over these many years, and the churches we want to see planted? How do you put a price on that? How do you properly value the worth to Christ as it is when all these lives are being impacted for the gospel? Tell me, how do you put a price on thousands equipped in the gospel and then to equip thousands of others and others and others with the gospel over the period? How do you put a price on that? How do do you put a price on your loved ones? Some of them are sitting beside you right now who have been saved from death and hell, and now know Jesus Christ. We've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. How much would you pay for that to happen? (laughs) How do you put a price on that? This is what Jesus is asking us right now. Here's what we do. I mean, think about that. I mean, really, really. How do you compare salvation in Christ with like, well, I really want a new TV. Oh, man, that, that, that new phone that's coming out, man. Wow. I mean, or like a, a renovation in your home. How, how do you put a price on lives being changed forever and being like, well, that, that vacation, man, just, that's what I'm going for. Like, you're going to weigh those things together? Really? These things aren't bad, but when we're weighed against the salvation, the price of Christ and what he gave for us, there's no comparison. We've deceived ourselves into thinking that somehow this in the world here is more worthwhile than this for the kingdom. What are we living for? What are we living for? I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to preach on this stuff because I just, Jesus went before me a long time ago. And he's so clear. I'm telling you, if you are giving nothing or very little to the kingdom, that's a problem, that's a big problem. It's a heart problem. If you don't like me for what I'm saying right now, that's also a problem, <laughs> not with me. But the reality is, wh- why is this bugging you? Why are you so uncomfortable? Why are you saying, if you could admit it in your heart, pastor, just stop talking? Why? It's because I'm getting at your idol. I'm poking you where it hurts the most or where you're most protected. Don't talk to me about my money. Oh, it's not your money. It's the, see, that's the whole thing right there. Where your treasure is. You don't think I have to go through this stuff? You don't think I've had to count the cost in years past? And, and you don't think Joe and I right now are looking at this campaign and saying, what are we gonna do? You don't think we're evaluating, wrestling with this, and trying to go through and what does generosity look like from our lives? You don't think we're doing that? We're doing that. Big time doing that. And it does hurt. But I'm absolutely convinced of everything that Jesus is saying to us right now. Besides, what's the alternative? Live for more things? Maybe you've heard the story of Mr. and Mrs. Thing. Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that's the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingometer. When the thing-o- thingometer is put to work in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the result is startling. There he is, sitting down in a very luxurious and expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat from, all shining anew. Things, things, things. Things to clean with, things to wash with, things to clean and things to wash. Things to amuse, things to give pleasure. Things to watch and things to play, things for the long hot summer and things for the short cold winter, things for the big thing in which they live, and things for the garden, things for the lounge, things for the kitchen, things for the bedroom, and things on four wheels, and things on two wheels, and things to put on top of the things on four wheels, and things to pull behind the four wheels, and things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels, things thing things. And they are in the middle of Mr. and Mrs. Things, smiling, pleased as pink with their things. Thinking of more things to add to their things, securing their things, their castle of things. Well, I just want you to know that your things can't last. They're going to pass. There's going to be an end to them. Maybe an error in judgment. Maybe a temporary loss of concentration. Or maybe you'll just pass them off to the second-hand thing dealer. Or maybe they'll wind up as a mass mangled metal being towed off to a thing yard. And what about all the things in your house? Well, it's time for bed. Put out the cat. Make sure you lock the door and make sure some thing taker doesn't come and take your things. And that's the way life goes, doesn't it? And someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box, you. (laughs) It causes for positive reflection, doesn't it? What are we doing? What are we living for? Is it a thingdom or is it kingdom? Is it the Lord's? Or is it really just ourselves? The Holy Spirit speaking. I, 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 my prayer, as, as bold as I'm praying that I can be at times, my prayer is that you and I are becoming again more and more convinced the greatest path to joy and blessing and delight is to truly live for Jesus Christ and to truly let the things around us go that our lives might count for him and for them who don't know him, that they might be saved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, again, loved ones, when we have clarity, we have urgency. When there's urgency, there's priority. When there's priority, there's generosity. When there's generosity, man, there's vitality. The Holy Spirit is speaking. It's a great opportunity. And may he lead us let's um let's pray let's just let's just take a moment I think it's very appropriate take a moment personally let's not rush this let's pray let's talk to the lord i Again, Lord, what is, what is our greatest treasure? What is our greatest joy? What is our greatest joy? What, what would I sacrifice for? The first answer to these questions is, is to be you. Not that there can't be other things down the line, but the first thing is your kingdom. Um, Holy Spirit, I fully confess and know that um, I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but unless you work, unless you change, unless you convince by your word, uh, nothing will change. I pray faith rises. Faith. Faith to trust in you, faith to be used by you. I just uh, led to pray for the person here right now who's never really surrendered this area to their lives, or in their lives to God. You've never trusted God fully. You've always held on tight to the things. That you say, I'll give God this, but I won't give God this. I pray for his glory and by his spirit that today could be the day that you finally let go of what is not yours anyways, and trust God with what is his. Do that in our church, Lord. I pray precision, clarity, renewed urgency, such established priority, and I pray for a biblical generosity to rise, to rise from your people, that we might see the kingdom go forward in beautiful ways. Yes, Lord, use this song. Use this song as a wonderful response to this as well. In Jesus' name.